0: If you're somebody who is still having trouble finding your way in life, then you'll want to hear from my next guest, who has an incredibly inspiring story of beating life and not giving up. Her name is Kaylin Ellsbury, and she has demonstrated an incredible will to persevere when she had so many reasons not to. In this short conversation, we really hit it off in being able to discuss our shared experiences in growing up in the face of so much adversity. Kaylin was born with cystic fibrosis, and doctors didn't give her more than 14 years to live. She's now 30 and has beaten the odds time and time again. She is somebody who has pushed herself over and over from becoming a fitness fanatic, Zumba instructor, public speaker, entrepreneur, and businesswoman, all while suffering from a genetic disease that requires extended stays in the hospital. She is the author of the book *I Am: The Untold Story of Success*, and it's an incredible message of grit perseverance, and self-acceptance. She has become an advocate for those encouraging others to go after their dreams no matter what obstacles lay in their path. She's also been featured on countless podcasts, publications, and even interviewed on U.S. Nightly News with Lester Holt. Kaylin is an incredible example of the phrase, you are who you think you are. The mindset in which you approach your life is the only true thing that matters. And without further ado, here is Miss Kaylin Elsberry. Kaylin, thank you for being here with me today.
1: Hey there, so great to be here. I've been looking forward to this for months.
0: Now, we we met just a few months ago. It was, it was at a YEC, which is, if you don't know, it's the Young Entrepreneur Council Organization. They had a meetup in the Utah mountains. There was a ski trip. And you were a little buzzed that night, but you we, we connected because everybody else was totally, was telling, well, I, we were, I was both, we were both buzzed, but everybody was <laughs> ah! telling us like, we need to meet because we have such similar stories. Uh, yeah. and, and just, it was amazing to share a little bit of my story with you and to hear uh, what, what you had. And you actually came out with the book too. I read that book and it was just incredibly inspiring. Uh, I connected with so many elements in that book. I was just like, wow, how, how, how much time did it take for you to write this book and to get all these facts and details. I was, uh, it was, it was a very
1: good book. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was so good meeting and you know, the, the great thing about YEC is we can just be ourselves. Right. So, yeah. um, I know at least I might've had a couple whiskey diets that night. <laughs> um, no idea how many you had, but I accept full responsibilities for my actions and, uh, yeah, everyone was just tell me the entire time, like you guys need to meet, you need to meet. And I remember just kind of pulling you aside and we went outside and it was, what was it, like 15 degrees out. Mm-hmm. And we attempted to have a conversation, but it was so cold that it, it was lost after about three minutes. So yeah. I'm excited we finally catch up and tie up all these loose ends.
0: Yeah. And, and I see today, like you're, you're a speaker, you were on, it's, it's not TED, but what is it? It's the, it's the woman's version of TED.
1: Yeah, it's called Sue Talks. It's a uh, San Diego Orange County style of TED. TED's the goal, the dream, if you will. But I've been—I I have a couple speakers bureaus that endorse me, and it's been a rush. I'm so beyond blessed that—I mean, people actually listen, and uh, that my messages resonated with them. So yeah.
0: And, and so you grew up, you know, having this cystic fibrosis since since you were how old?
1: I was born with it. So 24 hours old, my uh, intestines exploded on the operating table. And that's a sign of cystic fibrosis. Mm. So the docs just told my parents right away and spent six months in neonatal intensive care. And uh, luckily, I survived that. And so... It was a very interesting childhood growing up with a terminal disease and the things that people tell you you can't do.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can, I can relate not from the circumstance of, of disease. Uh, what we connected on though, I know is, you know, my parents died when I was young and I had, mm-hmm. I had nobody around me and I started a business when I was 15. And, and after my mom died, I was partly in foster care while trying to run that business. And the only thing that kept me going through all those years of loneliness, depression, uh, mm-hmm. feeling like I'm never going to be Good enough for myself is that business. Is I put everything on that business, and it, it honestly it pulled me through. It was my distraction to all my problems. And so it's it's I'm amazed now that you have your own business, and now that you're an accomplished speaker, and you're doing all these things and so many things that I would uh, even just love to follow in your footsteps with.
1: Yeah, and I think that the feelings obviously mutual. I mean, there's I think there's so many people. I put a blog out, a video log out today on my YouTube. But there's so many people that... I mean, it's a Monday that just hate going to work. Like They hate Mondays. Mm -hmm. They hate their lives. And it's like, why? And you and I were given some pretty unfortunate situations in life, but our Mondays became our why. And I think that's possible for everybody. I really do.
0: Right there was actually a story of when I was living in Los Angeles for a little bit, I decided to move to LA because I wanted to become an actor. I always had this, 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 this desire of becoming an actor. And I, I took some acting classes. And then just after a period of time, I realized like, this isn't really what I wanted to do. And I started to ask myself, well, why am I doing this? Why am I getting myself to go out to these acting classes? Why am I standing in line for hours in order to, to have this audition that I'm probably never going to get? And I came to realize that I wanted it for the wrong reasons. It was Ooh. it was fame. It was it was uh, wanting to be rich and and successful. And and I wanted I wanted acceptance. And I actually realized like wait this is this was this relates back to my childhood when I was in school. I was bullied. I was picked on. Is uh, I started the business partly because I wanted others to accept me. And so that was Ooh. a part of that initial childhood trauma. I had realized. And I was lucky to be able to put that behind me and say okay this is this is a false reality. I'm not going to pursue that. And I. Was was able to shut the door on that. And and so many people will go through their lives where they have a job or they're doing something and they're doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, they haven't found that inner why, that inner meaning of why am I gonna wake up today and why am I gonna do this? It's just another Monday, it's just another job.
1: Yeah, and that's that's beautiful. I recently read um Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown.
2: Hmm.
1: I, I've been flying a lot, traveling, and I am a big audio, audible junkie. Oh, me too. And she talks about. And it wasn't like everybody had always told me to start following her. And I I never really got it, Um, which, you know, I hope she's never watching this and is insulted because I have the utmost respect for her. But I felt like for me, a lot of it was fluff. But I finally came in. I read Braving the Wilderness. And it was about your sense of belonging. And it was something that I could relate to also. I mean, I didn't quite belong in the hospitals, even though I grew up in them. Um, Because I was always a little healthier than all the other patients with CF. And then I reached an adult, and I don't quite belong in the real world either because (laughs) I have CF. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I get really involved in fitness, and I became a Zumba instructor and a personal trainer um, just to stay alive while uh, some of the drugs that were being made to help CF were in the pipeline. And I knew fitness was the answer for me. And I never fit in as a Zumba instructor because I couldn't actually make it through my own classes without coughing.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I spent like a, most all, even a day, like I still, I, I feel like I don't even belong in YEC because everybody's a stronger entrepreneur, you know, and you get into that self-deprecating loop, but circling it back. Yeah. Imposter, imposter syndrome, self-deprecation, et cetera. But Brene was talking about, I'm on a first name basis with her now that I read a book, Um, but she was talking about the truest way to belong is to be authentic to yourself. And when you belong to yourself, then you belong to the world. Mm -hmm. And she she wrote like 200 pages on that concept. And it, it really helped for me to understand that. If I have that feeling like I don't belong, it's because I'm trying to belong as opposed to just being
0: right. And just just accepting who you are as a person. And and we go through life uh, where we have this veil that we put up in front of us. And I I read an interesting shower thought on Reddit where it said that there's there's thousands of versions of ourselves because every person Mm -hmm. that, you know, they know you in a certain way of that brief interaction that you had with them. So so they think they know that version of you. And everybody that's on Facebook, they know a certain version of you, but nobody really knows the real version of you except yourself. And and yeah. there was a book that Benet Brown, I, I, I think this came from, ben, from, from Renee Brown, is there is a sticky note. And I did this for a while where I put a sticky note on my shower and, I, and it read, I accept myself unconditionally right now. And the idea is that if you read that enough times, you would eventually start to believe it and there's a huge period in my life where i didn't accept who i was i was fat i was ugly i never thought anybody would like me and i came to realize that well i can never be in a relationship and i can never have true deep meaningful relationships if i first didn't accept myself and it's not to yeah. say that you that you shouldn't accept every part of yourself if you're if you're really fat and you have all these problems just to like let them be and just accept that but to to start in a place of love because you have to yeah. love yourself if if you don't love yourself, then other people can't. How can you expect them to love you? Uh, so you have to start with that, that base attitude of self-acceptance. And, and there's also a great episode of, of addiction that Tim Ferriss had where he's interviewing a psychologist and Dr. Gaber Mate. And he brought up the idea of you have this, this addiction where you feel addicted to, uh, to to this part and you hate that part. You you hate, why am I addicted to this? But you should treat it as like a stupid friend. And I just love that yeah. analogy where it's like, you know, it's a friend where, you know, sometimes he says stupid, sh- stupid shit that you don't really want to go and do, but you should be like, ah, oh, I, I still love you, you know? So you, you should treat your, your parts of, of yourself, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a, a series of behaviors or negative thoughts that you've had and treat it like a stupid friend of like, you still love it, you appreciate it, but you don't have to follow in its direction.
1: Yeah, I love that. I used to say, um, well, my boyfriend taught me this, but I'll take credit. Um, it's, uh, you don't have to believe in the matrices that no longer serve you. So to elaborate when, let's just go like three years ago, um, I really was clinging to this fitness thing and I was clinging to Zumba and I was clinging to being a personal trainer and I loved it to this day. I love it. And I think that's part of why I'm still alive is my dedication to being fit. And when I made that transition to business uh, and I had done recruiting before, but I went on a three-year hiatus um, because I was actually legally on disability uh, because my lung function was so low and I I couldn't find work and I didn't have insurance and I didn't know what I was going to do because believe it or not, employers typically don't like hiring someone when they're out six months a year for hospitalizations. Not Not a great thing of theirs. Mm. So I was trying to get into business, building my business. And along that path, I couldn't find the time to dedicate like three hours a day to fitness and then start a company and then be a great girlfriend. And I was caught up in like this 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 shuffle, right? And I realized, unfortunately, as much as I love Zumba, it just wasn't a career that I could have long-term sustainable for Mm -hmm. me, for what I wanted. And my boyfriend goes, it's okay to get rid of a matrix if it no longer serves you. So Mm -hmm. I had to deconstruct myself as myself as a Zumba instructor and instead construct myself as a businesswoman if I wanted to really make it. Mm
2: -hmm. And so if there
1: is a thought, you know, if your friend keeps telling you, that you can't be something, et cetera, it's okay to listen, but then don't have that matrix if it doesn't serve you. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. I think there's this aspect of needing to constantly question our meaning and our reason behind doing different things. And if we we fail to do that, we end up stuck in a job or we end up stuck being a Zumba instructor where we're like, wait, why am I doing this again? Or does it, does it still bring me joy? and you realize like you've been doing it for 2 years and you you you've secretly grown to resent it and i i was learning to become a pilot and it is still it's not really a huge thing it was it was more like a challenge like i always i always would yeah. play a flight simulator when i was young and i thought i would i would fly a, a big plane but told, told myself i can never fly a plane and then i proved right. myself wrong and there is this, this, this interesting comic that I, I found when I was going through that process where it said, whenever you're in a Cessna and you're sitting on the runway about to take off and you look at this, this 737, and it was actually pretty crazy because I would be in a, in a Cessna and literally right next to me would be a, a Southwest 737 with all these people <laughs> looking at me and my little Cessna. And I thought like, oh man, how it would so be, it would be so cool to be flying that thing. But then yeah. there's a funny comic of, of a pilot flying a 747 looking at a Cessna and he's saying man I, I wish I was I was him and so you have this aversion to wanting to be the other person but it's when you when you start to change your your passion into a job then you know a seven forty seven it's cool to fly, but it's all automated and there's not really that connection with what you're what you're doing and so uh, I find it interesting where we we tend to want to be somewhere and when we get there we we're like well, actually, what we had before was actually just just as fine, you know. And, and we're always trying to chase this 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 level of happiness when we can achieve, we can choose to be happy just by being grateful for what we already have in our lives.
1: Mm, nail on the head because I actually just posted a different video um, about gratitude, and you know, so uh, for those of you know those who follow me or et cetera, you'll see a lot of videos online about me in the hospital or me on an IV drip. So basically I was, i just gotten home from the hospital. I was gone like 10, 11 days. You lose track. And FedEx delivered my new IV medications. And I remember just like the way the doorbell rang. This was like two days ago, mm-hmm. but I remember the doorbell rings and I walked to the door and this guy brings in all of my meds. And it's not like a small box. Like these are ginormous boxes mm-hmm. of stuff that he's carrying up. And we're on the 14th floor. And I just remember like having a moment and thinking like, wow, I am so lucky that I don't have to carry these boxes of my IVs anymore because when I was younger and I was on in home hospitalizations, you know, it was just so much work and it was so taxing to have to do these little mundane things. And now, I mean, it's automated. My groceries are delivered. This guy just shows up magically and gives me my meds. I just have to figure out how to put them together. And then I posted it on uh, YouTube and people started reaching out and liking, sharing and subscribing. And I'm like, wow, I'm just overcome with gratitude. And so we could look at things and be frustrated, or we could look at things and feel, why me? But if we're going to look that hard for everything that's wrong, like we could equally spend that amount of energy and look for everything that's right. Right. And it just, it really stood out for me and actually in my book to make it full circle, I talk about the habits of highly successful entrepreneurs and surprisingly to me, a lot of them have a habit of constant gratitude and reaching out and sharing why they feel so blessed or lucky um, or thankful.
0: Yeah, and and I know that there's a gratitude journal that that I had and I used it for a little bit. There's a great TED talk on that where it says that the science of just actually writing down the three things that you're grateful for each and every day, just doing mm-hmm. it for 20 days or so, it can actually be just as effective as an antidepressant if you're depressed. Oh wow! And so I, I I did that for a period, and I I try and mentally rehearse it. You know, I don't wake up and write it down every day, but sometimes I'll be able to to look at something and just try and appreciate it more. And I know Tim Ferriss had this idea of the jar of awesome where he would create this, this, jar and you would put jar of awesome and anything good that ever happened, he would write it on a little note and put it inside the jar. And so you're teaching yourself to recognize the, the good things that happen in life because we're so genetically programmed to only look at the negative things. And if, yeah. we, and that's the problem, but I, I'm curious, sort of regressing back to this mindset that you've achieved. And that is so very innately expressed in your book of a fighting of, of trying to uh, prove everybody that you can do it, of trying to prove yourself that you can do it. I'm curious, where did this come from? Because certainly when you are in the hospital, when you've been in the hospital, you see other patients with cystic fibrosis, where they feel like they, they can't go on or they can't do this. And I'm curious, where did you obtain this mindset of I'm going to do it and I'm, I don't care what, what disability I have, I'm going to do it. Where did that come from?
1: That might be one of the best questions I've ever been asked in my entire life. So obviously my parents played a big, big part in that. My my dad is, you guys gotta picture this. So my dad, he's 5'10, little little overweight. He's got a huge gap in his tooth. And uh he's he's like the good natured redneck from mm. rural Iowa, okay? Like mm. barely graduated high school. And my mom is cute little woman, she's four eleven, like 130 pounds at like on the worst day ever. Um, actually, probably way less than that. She's so tiny. Yeah. Um, and just super bubbly. So you've got to imagine this mix. And again, graduated high school, no formal education after that. And my dad made it from nothing to being a very, very successful salesman. And that was how he afforded medication is, you know, he just crushed it at work. And he never let me have an excuse. And I, To this day, I kind of hate him for it um, mm. with love because my family and I are pretty close. Um, but like, I remember, and my mom too. So I have a speech out, um, where I tell these stories, but basically there was a time I remember it very clearly. I was probably 12, 13. And there, I, at the time at the university of Iowa hospitals and clinics, patients go downstairs, um, for their daily workouts, patients with CF. And there was this boy and he was like six, seven years old, something like that. And he would be on the treadmill facing me. And we'd run against each other to try to compete, which basically meant that we would run and run and run until one of us coughed so hard that we'd wind up throwing up. Hmm. And one day, this little kid, he looks up to me and he goes, I'm going to run like you can. And it was so cool because like, this younger kid wanted to grow up to be like me. And he actually died that weekend. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I remember just kind of thinking like, did he ever have the time to tell his loved ones he loved them? Like what happened in this little boy's life? Like all he wanted to do was run. Mm-hmm. That that was his goal was like six, seven years old. He wanted to run. That was it. And I never wanted to sit back and wonder like, you know, what's my goal and am I going to die before it happens? And who do I love? And am I going to die before I share that love? And so for me, that was a defining point. And then as I grew up, if I ever had an excuse my parents, they would not let me hand, have it. I, I was a leader. I was on dance team. My brother is kind of a rougher guy. He did Iowa State wrestling. So he's a very tough guy. And he would always pick on me and like poke me and make me run around the house. And, you know, most situations, parents would be like, you know, Brad, stop picking on your sister. You're making her cough. But my parents were like, pick on her more. She's coughing. So she's getting the mucus out. And so it was just like all these little things that they did right. And I'd love to take credit for it. But I... You know, my parents and their tough love is what made me never feel sorry for myself and always push.
0: Wow, uh, that is deep.
1: Oh, thank you. But, and it's it's true. Like, I mean, there's story after story. Like half my life is literally spent in a hospital, right? Mm-hmm. So there's stories after stories of hospital living and the lessons that come out of each one. But I think that always just kind of made me want to fight is I didn't want to be like the person who died in the room next to me.
0: Mm-hmm. So, So your meaning... Uh, what what would you say your meaning was? Did did you say that? Would you say that you found your your meaning or or you know your reason for waking up in the morning uh, early on through this process?
1: You know, no, because I I think I still struggle with meaning. For me, meaning is always evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have it concrete. I mean, I know what motivates me. I know what makes me happy. You know, and that's my concept of life: all in vision, habits, love. But I think my I think my meaning is always changing. So right now I'm really on this quest to help people uncover their passions and then stop the bull crap and actually just get to it. You know, like if there's something you want to do, time is our greatest resource—not money, not likes, not social media. Time, like we're all running out of it, and we're running out of it freaking quickly. And so for right now, I'm just trying to get that message out there. Like if you're stuck in something you hate, stop being stuck. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. But you know, two years from now, it could be a totally different meaning, and I think that ties into the matrixes that no longer serve me is if something's no longer serving me or I feel like that message has resonated enough to make some change, um, I'm always open to finding out more about how the human brain works, how our psychology works, how we're built, how our DNA is to keep people from being unstuck
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's it's always a decision to to be stuck, and I know that there is a, a very long period where I was lonely. And I, I resented my friends because they stopped hanging out with me. And, and literally I went for a whole period of six months where the only conversation I ever had would be the person at the grocery store. and I would just and I would just come back in and then I would just work and that would be it. And I, I wouldn't ever hang out and I felt uh, very lonely. And it was only later on when I realized that that was actually a choice. Lone you know there's a difference between being alone and, or, and, and loneliness. And I felt that sense of loneliness, but it was still a choice that I personally made, and I didn't realize that. And I wanted to touch on the, the meaning is, I'm sure you've read uh, Victor Frankl's book, uh, A Man's Search for Meaning, of his time uh-huh. and the yeah. uh, Auschwitz camp. And there is this particular section that just uh, resonates with me, and I'm sure it will with you, and i just like to read it here. And this is from the book, Barking Up the Wrong Tree, the surprise science behind why everybody, why everything you know about success is mostly wrong by Eric Barker. And he said, he says one study showed that we feel meaning in life. When we think that we know ourselves, the key word is think truly knowing oneself didn't produce meaning, but feeling one did created the results. The story doesn't need to be accurate to be effective. That's a little unnerving and maybe even depressing, right? But when it comes to grit, this can be a good thing. If we made all our decisions based on the odds, we'd never achieve anything risky. We'd never even try. But to survive like Viktor Frankl did in the face of such horrors, stories can keep us going because of their inaccuracy. And so if for, for him, what allowed him to go through that camp was he created a meaning for himself. Uh, and that is what kept him going. He found something out of his storyline, out of uh, his, his purpose to keep on going that kept him going, and it was that's what allowed him to to not want to run into the to the electric fence. It's what made him not have to give into cigarettes and other things, and he was able to just keep going. And so uh, I think that that rings rings true for a lot of people, including myself. Where now I have this business, and it's it's you know for for most of my life I was trying to prove other people wrong that I could be successful, Ooh. and then once I achieved success, then I was kind of like flatlined. I didn't know where to go. I felt like a lack of motivation because I think too met too too often we we. End up trying to, our motivation is trying to be rich or be, su- be successful. But it's it's often it's it's quite interesting when some people reach that success, they don't know what to do next in their lives because they technically check that box off, you know, and if you haven't thought about what goes beyond being successful or having a big house or, or being rich, uh, w- what else is there? What What is your meaning? Uh, and I think that's an important thing to start looking for early on. And it's, it's something that a lot of us lack and we still don't really know the answer. But I think it's also okay to not know, but it's also okay to just tell yourself, okay, this is what it is. And maybe in the back of your mind, you don't think it's the, the, the true thing, but that's, can, that's what will keep you going until tomorrow. Uh, if any of that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And then I, mean, I think I, I agree with you fundamentally. Um, I do believe that you need meaning you need something to latch onto because what else is there? And really all we are, all we are as humans, um, as individuals, as beings are the lies we tell ourselves. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. Like there is no real fundamental truth. I mean, I I can tell you that I'm a warm hearted person and that I love giving back, but that's until, (laughs) you know, like my website goes down, I lose six grand and then suddenly my heart's not very warm. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely don't want to give back. Like I'm, I'm a tiger in that situation. Um, and I have the full range of human emotions. So if in bad situations you tell yourself what you need to hear to believe it, to persevere, That's a totally different game than just going through the motions. I think, you know, also that's why a lot of people feel dead inside is the messages they're giving themselves are that they're dead or that they don't have passion or that they're not looking forward to the next day Um, when really all they have to do is tell themselves long enough that they're not dead, that they're excited. And if they truly have reached rock bottom you know, rock bottoms, the foundation for which both of us, it seems like built our entire lives upon. Mm-hmm. Um, so just even recognizing that rock bottoms, a pretty awesome place to be. And then bringing back to our core messages that we're telling ourselves, I think that that would be a great recipe for people um, to be more successful in whatever their definition of success is.
0: Right. And, and also reframing the circumstances, uh, where you where you came from, what what troubles you had in your life. And it's so easy to look at something bad that happened and just be like, oh, well, I'm screwed, or this is, this has is screwed me up, or I can't do this, or I'll never be successful. Or in, in my circumstance, in one, in one example, I've been screwed over multiple times by multiple business partners. And I've, I've lost a lot of money from a lot of potential success. And I could look back and I could hate those people. And I could just absolutely just get angry just thinking about it. But instead, I could also look at it as, well, it, it served me uh, because you can't really have uh, success until you've, uh, until I like to say, you can't really achieve success until it's, it, success is built on your failures. And uh, for me, that that's so, so true. And I can look at all my failures and be like, well, you know, that could have stopped me or I can look at it and reframe it and that it it's, it's helped make me the person I am today. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's sort of, I think the only way you can really look at it.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. You bring that up too um, about, let's just say a month ago. I always, if you ask me later, how long ago it was, I'll tell you a different number. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but if you ask me there, there's a situation and I applied for a group to belong to an entrepreneurial group. And it was a group that I feel like I've given back a ton to this organization. Um, and it was when I was building up my recruiting company as, as you know, so I felt like I had done free workshops. I've, spoken at some of their events for free, like I've given myself to this organization without being a member. Mm -hmm. And they have this little baby program and it's for baby entrepreneurs. Hey, (laughs) that's me. And um, especially with the Miss Kaylin Media brand, you know, the the public speaking, the inspiration, the author side, this is not a high revenue producing company. And I applied to learn some of the strategies that startup founders use in the influencer space um, to grow their networks, et cetera. And I applied. I'm super excited. Um, I actually know the guy in charge. I've helped him. And I got denied. Mm. And I was pissed. Like, I was livid. I cried for a while. Um, and I was super pissed. And I realized, like, when I when I was, like, on the floor, like, and my, my place when I'm really defeated is I sit on the floor Indian style and just cry. And I was on the floor sitting Indian style crying. I recognized that that anger that I felt, it could be an easy sign to give up. Or it was passion that I was on to the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. in that moment, I was like, you know what? I don't care if Miss Kaylin Media is not making money right now. Like, cool. This is a sign like the anger and the, the intensity of the emotion I felt was a sign that it I needed to keep going. Regardless of if it's another 12 months, five years until I see any success with it. And that was, that was pivotal for me. So maybe in those moments of extreme rage or extreme anger, extreme disappointment, it's good because in a twisted way, it's a sign that you're on the right track to something you're passionate about.
0: Yes. I would just add an asterisk to that is don't make any major life decisions. Probably wait 24 hours to to sending that email (laughs) to your boss, telling him that you quit, right? Yeah. Uh, I
1: could be better at that. (laughs) uh, I'm sure we we all can. We (laughs) all can. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah, totally agree.
0: And and now you mentioned your this this matrix uh, a few times now, uh, and so you have this matrix of items that you have kind of put off or or that you you ignore if I'm correct, and then you have another matrix that you look at of of things that are still in your life and that empower you. It, can you describe that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, so it's I created it's I got it from one of my mentors. His name's Jack Daly. If you guys don't know him, look him up. He taught me about having a vision for your future. And I broke my vision out into all these different categories. And every year I create a master vision list and I have guidebooks, et cetera. Maybe we can include a link, it's Mm -hmm. free if somebody's interested. Um, And it walks them through a course on how to create your master vision list and accomplish everything on that list. And throughout the year, it's May, right? So throughout the year, I look back at the list and every time I do something on that list, I check it off. And last year I had some amazing success. There was like 50 things on that list and I checked off all but two. And so that told me that my habits were in a line with that. And then this year, ironically, I checked off a lot, but the core of what I wanted to do this year, I have not done. And I could sit there and I could go back and I could redo everything on my vision list, create habits around those visions and just go for it, go for it, go for it. Like stuff like, um, you know, really scaling the online recruiting course. And then I realized like, it's fun, don't get me wrong, but I'm having so much more fun on the Miss Kalen Media right now that come January 1st again, I'm not going to look back and think, oh, I wish I would have done this with the Landmark Makers side of my business because now the matrix that's serving me is Miss Kalen Media, not necessarily Landmark Makers. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay in that situation. So when I talk about matrices that no longer serve you, it's okay to look back at your vision list or your goal list and say, you know what? I had the best intentions with this. I really wanted it at that time. But my life fundamentally changed. And with that change, I need to change my goals. And then you pivot. So I guess if that helps you out, I guess that's more what I mean.
0: That Yes, that reminds me of... Uh, I know that there's there's a quote I was trying to look it up uh, that the 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 best thing you can do for your productivity list, and this also comes back to the Eisenhower Matrix. I wrote a blog post on this, and it's being able to prioritize your tasks into different buckets. You have uh, important, uh, but but important but not urgent, uh, urgent but not important. Uh, and then a regular task, and there there was one that I remember in particular that is uh, the items that you will not do, and that the, the best, most amazing productivity hack is f- looking at your list of items and then deciding that you're not going to do uh, some of them because they're no longer yeah. important or they're no longer relevant. And and I and for their matrix that no longer serves you. Yes. And, and that is where it comes to having some sort of a, a weekly review or a quarterly review. And this is what most people don't do. It's, it's sort of something that's it's very, you just don't think about it. But if you can have a weekly review or you're, every month you're looking at, what did I do this month? What did I accomplish? And how much? What did I accomplish in relation to my goals or my vision? Yeah, and then you're able to more easily connect the dots. And then if you have a vision that it's just not you're just not really eyeing it right now, it's just not important. It's okay to move that to to archived because it's it's a part of procrastination is also fearing like you're not working on the most important thing and for me that's been a big issue and all you need to do to solve that is you just need to think about what is the most important thing I should be working on and it's so easy when you're coming from a position of being an employee where you're being told always what to do to becoming an entrepreneur and then you have to figure out what to do it can be so easily easy to just be demotivated because you feel like you just did all this work but then it's you realize that your your priorities changed or it's no longer relevant and you just wasted all this time so that's a it's, it's, it's it's important to have some sort of re- review and we will definitely link uh, what you mentioned into the show notes. Yeah, And so I know that we're, we're almost out of time, if I'm correct.
1: Yeah. And real quick, it's funny you mentioned that. I didn't know it was called the Eisenhower thing. I just seen it somewhere before, but that's actually in that link in the course. And I tell everyone to set it up on Sunday, like list out three things a day. So five days in the work week, right? So three times five is 15. List out the 15 must-dos. And if you get it all done by Tuesday, take the week off if you want to. I don't care what you do with your fr- free time. Um, but identifying your must for the week and then conquering them as it relates to your vision mm-hmm. is kind of like my productivity hack. And yeah, I'd love... If you want to include the course, absolutely. Like I said, totally free. It comes with a guidebook. Um, it's about... I think it's like 10 weeks long. Um, you get an email every five days. So...
0: Yeah, that'd be fun. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely include a link to that. Kaylin, uh, it was an absolute pleasure having you. We went over so much and there's so much more. So hopefully I can have you back on again and we can talk about (laughs) choices and habits. Uh, but yes, it, it, was, it was amazing to, to have this conversation with you and to share uh, more about meaning and life and challenges and obstacles that we all have to face because I know everybody listening can relate in some way or another to the conversation that we just had. Uh, and yeah. just like your, your hope is that I hope uh, not only yourself, but myself and we will be able to help others uh, figure out that in their, lo-
1: their own lives. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And of course, we're doing round two. I I think that this is the beginning of some amazing things. So I'm grateful you reached out after our YUC event and uh, despite all the whiskey diets. (laughs) But I think that the thing is, is we're both in it to help people. And I'm inspired by you equally. So um, whatever you need, I'm here for you.
0: Very good. Thank you again, Kevin.
1: Likewise. Hey guys, this is Cody
0: again. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Mind Hack. And if you're interested in getting more Mind Hack worthy stuff straight to your inbox, then you might consider signing up for my weekly newsletter. It often contains links to new episodes, blog posts, and other interesting finds I found on the interweb in the past week. It pretty much focuses around productivity and efficiency. So if that's your thing, then be sure to visit my website at CodyMcLean.com. That's M-C-L-A-I-N.com to sign up. Also, if there are any interesting websites, companies, books, blog posts, quotes, or anything else that was mentioned in this episode, you can find it all in more by visiting the official website for the Mind Hack Show at MindHack.com. And as always, if you have any feedback, good or bad, I want to hear it. Send me a tweet, email, or what have you on either of my websites as my goal with this show is to give you the maximum value in the shortest amount of time. That's all for now, guys. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you guys again soon.